Welcome to the Reasoned Hope podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. We seek to show how the central hope found in Jesus Christ is not only rational, but that the Christian worldview makes sense of our experience, our deepest longings, and our intuitions about the world. Thanks for listening, and we hope today's episode is both encouraging and challenging to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. Welcome to today's episode of the Reasoned Hope Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about one major difference between Christianity and other religions. Now, this is a simple difference, but as we get into it, I think you'll see it is a a very important and profound difference that many simply do not realize. Now, there's a a need, I think, for what uh, we can figuratively call a litmus test for true Christianity in our culture today. And you probably heard that phrase litmus test uh, used in different contexts. And it's, it's got like a scientific background to it. It's basically a kind of test that would help chemists know whether a solution was basic or acidic. And the way that it is most commonly used now is in a figurative sense to mean uh, any decisive factor that would be involved in an issue or a comparison between things. So when we talk about having a litmus test for true Christianity in our culture, we're talking about um, a factor involved when you compare different religions that would show that Christianity is distinct from these other religions. So, and I think there's two main reasons, not that these are the only reasons, but I think that there's two important reasons why we need something like a litmus test for true Christianity in uh, American culture today. One would be that we live in a pluralistic culture. And this essentially just means that uh, America, like pretty much the rest of the world, um, this applies to the rest of the world as well, we live in a uh, pluralistic culture that provides a multitude of options when it comes to what to believe. Um, This can include, uh, it certainly includes all the religious options that are available. Um, It can also include uh, secularism as another belief system, another way of looking at the world. And so modern people today find themselves in an environment where there are a um, an unending amount of different religious options, different worldviews from which to believe. And there are people from uh, every religion saying that they have the true religion, that they have the true way to God. Um, and then, so this can create an environment of confusion if you don't know how to properly distinguish between these different uh, competing religious claims. If you can't identify what what true genuine Christianity is uh, in a culture like this, then it's going to be very hard to uh, know how to make sense of the options that you're being presented with. And you may end up rejecting something that isn't Christianity at all because you weren't able to recognize it for what it was. You weren't able to uh, see how it is uh, distinguished from other religions. And I think this is especially true for Christianity because you have many different faiths claiming to be Christianity. 
you have different faiths claiming to be true Christianity. Um, and one example that we'll see would be something like Mormonism. Mormonism uh, claims to be another sort of denomination of Christianity. But when, when you actually get into looking at what uh, the Mormon Church teaches, you go to the sources of Mormon doctrine, you begin to see that Mormonism and the Bible are very different in the things that they teach, even though that, uh, say, Mormons will use a lot of the same language as Christians do to talk about things like God and salvation. So the fact that we live in a pluralistic culture means that if we're going to understand how Christianity is distinguished from all the religious options out there, um, we're going to need some way to be able to do that. Now, the second reason I think we need something like a litmus test for true Christianity in our culture is something called cultural Christianity. And this is simply the idea that there is a... Um, it, it's, it's getting almost less so, at least in, in, in America, than it used to be. But in, in America, there has always been this sort of background Christianity that, that people haven't truly been able to completely get away from. The Judeo-Christian uh, perspective on the world has heavily influenced Western civilization. It's heavily influenced um, America. And so because of that, a lot of people born in America or born into families where there's some aspect of involvement with church growing up or something like that, people think that they are Christian simply because they have grown up in America or simply because their family has been a church-going family and things like this. And so the idea is that a person can be at a place where their understanding of Christianity is much more of a cultural assumption than it is a real resulting from a real change in that person's life. And the danger here is that people can think they are Christians when they're really not Christians, according to um, what Jesus taught. And if we want to know what true Christianity is, we have to go to what Jesus taught. So it's not enough simply to be raised in a culture that might have some Christian assumptions built into its history or anything like that, or if uh, your family went to church growing up. Um, these, these things are not enough to make someone a Christian. So the fact that we live in a pluralistic culture and the fact that there is the very real uh, reality of cultural Christianity mean that it is essential that we understand that there is at least one major difference between Christianity and other religions. This is certainly not the only difference, but it is a very important difference. So this difference really comes down to something uh, around what other religions say about salvation and what Christianity says about salvation. So other religions cater to our human impulse to make ourselves better. We seem to have a natural tendency as human beings to want to earn our way to God or to do something to make ourselves feel better about our guilt. Many people would probably not describe the way they feel in terms of uh, sin, but the Bible talks about how um, everyone is guilty of, of sin, that we've all done things that have gone against uh, God and His commands and the moral law that we are all aware of. 
that we're aware of this moral law that we can't escape whether we profess to be religious or not. It is built into us, and we have a conscience. And when we violate this moral law, we feel guilty about it. And this is uh, seems to be a universal human experience. Regardless of where you live in the world, what your religious background is, we all seem to be aware of the fact that we've done wrong and we feel guilty for it. Now, other religions offer paths to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves better or acceptable to um, whatever, whatever deity that that religion um, is guiding its adherents towards. Um, so if we look at two examples of this here, one would be Mormonism. Now, I've already said a few things about Mormonism, that Mormonism uh, claims at least to be a true restoration of uh, Christianity. Um, if you know anything about the history of Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, the founder, he taught that Mormonism was the restoration of true Christianity after what he called the Great Apostasy, when the Christian church fell away from the truth. And so, according to Joseph Smith, Mormonism is the restoration of what true Christianity is. And so, if someone's following Mormonism, according to him, they're following true Christianity. But if you look at what Mormonism uh, teaches about salvation, it's quite different from uh, what we find in the Bible. Mormonism teaches that God's grace is available to us, but the catch is that you have to earn this grace. So if uh, there's two quotations from something called the Book of Mormon, which the Book of Mormon is a, um, it is a source for Mormons um, in terms of their beliefs and their practice. Um, so there's a book called Second Nephi, and it says, this is a quote from it, and what it says about God's grace. It says, quote, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. End quote. That's Second Nephi twenty five twenty three. Now, if you know anything about the Bible's teaching on salvation, you should at least be familiar with a verse that is quoted quite often when it comes to talking about how people are saved. And that verse is found in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses five through eight in that range. And what it basically says there is, it says, "For it is by grace that we're saved through faith." And this is not of ourselves, it's not of works, so that no one can boast. And so in Ephesians, you have the Bible teaching that it is by God's grace, it's through faith, through trust in Him, that we're saved, and it's not at all a result of our works, so that no one can boast. But if we compare that to what the Book of Mormon says in Second Nephi, it says, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. Notice that's very subtle, but it is a huge difference in terms of the Mormon teaching of salvation and the Christian teaching of salvation. After all we can do means that we must earn, we must bring ourselves to the place uh, somehow to where we can be uh, those who deserve God's grace so that we can receive it only after we do all we can do. Now the second quote also comes from the Book of Mormon, and it's in a, a book called Moroni, chapter 10, verse 32. And this is what it says, quote, Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness, 
And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. End quote. So notice there, it's directing people to come unto Jesus and be perfected in him, but it says in order to receive this, you must first deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And it's only after you deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then God's grace will be sufficient for you. But I think the important question here is to ask, is it possible for human beings to deny themselves of all ungodliness? In other words, is it possible for human beings to be perfect all on their own, to deny themselves of everything that is sinful and be perfect? Is it possible for human beings to love God with all of their might, mind, and strength? And if it's not possible for human beings to do this on their own, then they will never reach a place where God's grace is available to them or sufficient for them. So just here in these two quotes, you can see how Mormonism teaches that we must earn our way to God. We must make ourselves worthy of his grace. And if we can't do that, then his grace is not sufficient for us. Now the second example would be from Islam. Islam teaches that there will be a day of judgment. And that this day of judgment is going to consist in a weighing of each person's good deeds compared to their bad deeds. So everyone will stand before Allah one day on the day of judgment. They'll have to give an account for their lives. And the thing that will determine whether or not they enter paradise and are spared hell is if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. And you can find this in the Quran in Surah 7 verses 8 and 9, and here's what it says, quote, And the weighing of deeds that day will be the truth. So those whose scales are heavy, it is they who will be the successful. And those whose scales are light, they are the ones who will lose themselves for what injustice they were doing toward our verses. End quote. So when it's talking about the scales being heavy and the scales being light, it means those whose good deeds are heavy on the scales that outweigh their bad deeds, they will be the one who will be saved. And those whose scales are light, the scale of their good deeds is light, well, they will be the ones who will receive judgment. And essentially in Islam, good deeds, uh, at the very least, they consist of keeping the five pillars of Islam. And the five pillars of Islam are things like having daily regular prayers, um, it's going to be ideally five times per day. Uh, you must fast during the month of Ramadan. Um, if you're able, you've got to make a pilgrimage to the city of Mecca, uh, giving alms to the poor. And um, as you get more into Islamic theology, you, you see that it teaches that human beings, they simply have just to be taught the right way to live. Islam means submission uh, it means submission to the will of God. And so, according to Islam, people just need to be taught the right way to live, and they have the power within themselves to carry this out. 
So they're not born sinful or anything like that. They have the ability to um, earn their way to Allah by following what he's commanded and being righteous. So, and it's important to understand that just like Mormonism, Islam will talk about Allah being merciful, and it will talk about um, the grace of Allah towards those who are faithful Muslims. But in the end, both Mormonism and Islam teach that the, the, the grace of God is based upon your performance and what you can do to earn your way to God and make yourself righteous. And this is fundamentally different from what Christianity teaches. While other religions like Mormonism and Islam teach that we must earn God's grace, we must earn our way to God, Christianity says something very distinct. It says that we cannot save ourselves, that we do not have the resources within our own power to save ourselves from our sins and to make ourselves righteous before God. So it first says that all of us are guilty. I mean, this is all over the Bible. It's not something that you can get away from. And one place that we see this is in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 20, where it says, quote, There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins, end quote. So it's making it very clear there that there's nobody, nobody alive on earth, no human being who is righteous and who has never sinned. So by implication, this means everybody has sinned. Uh, If you know Romans 3.23, which talks about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's the same idea. Now, another place that we could go would be Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, and this is also in the Old Testament. And Psalm 130 says this, quote, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered, end quote. So it means that if God was keeping account of all human sin, all human iniquity, no one could stand before him. Everybody stands condemned. Everybody stands guilty before God. If he is keeping a record of all the wrongs that every person has done, well, the standard is perfection, and everybody's guilty. But it says that with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. In other words, God's forgiveness is there to draw people to himself, to make them realize the gravity of their sins against him and against others, and to bring them to a place where they they are seeking his forgiveness and they find his mercy. So the Bible says that all of us are guilty. It also says that only Jesus can make us clean. And if you go to uh, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, Uh, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist uh, is observing Jesus uh, walk by, and, and he calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and because he has taken the wrath that we deserve, he has made atonement. Just like if you know anything about the Old Testament and the history of the sacrificial system, they had to constantly sacrifice animals to make atonement for sin. And yet this was, uh, animals were not able to be a, a, a real lasting sacrifice for sin. 
Jesus, this image of him being the Lamb of God, means that he is the perfect and the final sacrifice for our sins. So it is only through him that our sins can be taken away and that we can be washed clean. Another place that you can go to see this in the New Testament is in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And it says this, quote, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. End quote. Notice how different that is compared to the quotes that I read from uh, the Book of Mormon and the Quran. It is God's kindness to us and his love for us that moved him to make a way of salvation to save us. And it's not by works of righteousness that we had done. It's no religious works. It's nothing that we could do to earn our way to him and to cleanse ourselves of our very real guilt. There's, there's nothing that we can do to do that. But it's according to his mercy. And it comes through Jesus Christ that we're justified by his grace and what Jesus has done, that we can have the hope of eternal life. And this sounds like a simple difference, that other religions teach that you can earn your way to God, while Christianity teaches that God has made a way for us to come back to him. That is a fundamental difference, and yet it is one that is not understood by many, many, many people, even people who are in churches week after week after week. And it's important to understand this difference between Christianity and other religions because, uh, first of all, it brings you to an end to your quest of trying to be good enough for God. Now, some people aren't consciously on this kind of a quest. Their, their, their consciences are not tormented about their guilt and things that they have done. Um, they're, they're not necessarily thinking about that way. They might be conscious of the fact that they've, they've done wrong things in their life, but they're not necessarily on this quest to, be, to find atonement for their sin. But for those who are very conscious of this, and for something that is eating away at them, that they need to find a way to uh, make sense of their guilt and uh, find atonement for it, by trying to be religious enough, trying to be good enough, the news that God has made a way for you to be forgiven for your sins through Jesus, this, this brings you to an end to that quest to secure your unrighteousness because Christianity says you can't do that. That's why Jesus came. That's why all of us need him for salvation. Now, the second thing that I think follows from understanding this is that it brings you to a place where you are able to see your true need. Your true need is not to be religious enough. Your true need is not to try to be good enough. Your true need is for restoration to God, the one who made you, that you were made for a relationship with him, and that a true understanding of salvation will see relationship with God is at the center. 
and that God has done something to make a way for that relationship to be restored between you and him. And that's what we're all seeking anyways, whether we recognize it or not. Our true need is that fellowship with God, relationship with him, and all the other things that we find ourselves pouring our lives into are going to leave us empty and in the end, they're not going to provide the meaning, the security, and the hope that we are truly seeking. Now, I think the last thing is that if you understand this fundamental difference between Christianity and other religions, you'll be able to make a more adequate investigation into the Christian faith because you'll have an accurate understanding of what the the, the central news of Christianity is, the good news of the gospel, what what Jesus Christ was about, what he taught, what he came to do, and why every person's eternal destiny hangs upon how they respond to him. Because if you are at a place where you are uh, maybe a cultural Christian, and you think you're a Christian simply because there's been some Christianity in your family or something like that, um, or if you find yourself confused on how to make sense of all the religious options that you find around you and what the differences are, um, an understanding of the true message of Christianity is essential. Because many times people will reject Christianity, but it's very often the case that they will reject something that they truly don't understand completely. And you don't want to be in that boat. You want to make sure that if you do reject Christianity, you know exactly what it is uh, teaching and what the claims are and what the central message of it is. But sadly, many people are at a place where they've rejected Christianity and they've never taken the time to really understand what it teaches. And so a great place to start with that is understanding that while other religions teach that you can earn your way to God, that you can make yourself righteous, the central message of Christianity is that nobody's righteous Nobody can be good enough on their own. We need a Savior, and that Jesus has accomplished salvation for all those who put their trust in him. That Jesus came and he secured the way to God, but a response is required from each person. This is the central difference between Christianity and other religions. And if you want to have an accurate understanding of all the religious options out there. Um, If you want to be clear that you are not amongst the cultural Christians, then um, understanding this is supremely important. This is a very simple truth. It's not very complicated, um, but many people don't understand it. So I hope that this today has been helpful for you. Um, If you enjoy the show, please leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's found on all major podcasting platforms. Um, ReasonedHopePodcast.com is the website. You can go there and listen to it as well. ReasonedHopePodcast at gmail.com is the email address. If you have questions or comments or anything like that, please feel free to uh, send those to that email. And remember that there is reason for hope in Jesus Christ.